Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here with Fiscal Fitness. So delighted that you could join us this beautiful Wednesday. We're getting ready for the holidays and the uh, change in the year. And so many people are saying, I can't wait for 2020 to end. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because it's simply uh, you flip the page on the calendar. Does that mean everything changes? Everything just gets nicer? Maybe, maybe not. But I don't know what the end of the year means in terms of otherwise, I guess we're just trying to be, have a good attitude about 2021 has got to turn out better. Well, we want to be prepared for either side of the equation. And for Daniel Medina and myself, that's where the rubber meets the road, because so many people are, you know, died in the world optimists. Uh, and uh, we work a lot with engineers. And I have to tell you, they're not impressed by optimism. They're not impressed by sales information. They're not impressed by uh, the information in terms of what's gone up for the last 10 years. They, the way they look at it, remember, these are people who often put uh, men and women on the moon and back and trying to get to Mars. They, their attitude is we bring, the, we take them to where they're supposed to go. And generally, for the most part, they come back safely and on time. So what have you done? And, and that's the point. You know, it's so easy to be optimistic. And, and by the way, one of the uh, pandemic uh, doctors that I've been following says that the problem with optimism is that it, uh, it discolors being prepared. In other words, uh, people are looking for the only thing that's good, and the optimism actually leads to complacency. I think that's a true statement, because let's just be honest. If you and I are trying to jaywalk across the street to go to lunch, it's typically not the bus we see that could disrupt our day. It's typically the bus we don't see. We cannot name, and we certainly can't put a timer on when it's going to arrive. So at best, we may be able to pick ourselves up off the pavement and take a picture of the, of the license plate and move on. So we want to be prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. And that's the work that uh, Daniel and I like to do so much. Uh, Daniel's been here with Investors Advantage since 2006. And I've been um, running Investors Advantage since 1979, where we have helped one client at a time since 1979 and enjoy every minute of it, mostly so that, as I say, we can help people prepare for the good, the bad, and the ugly, or certainly help them recognize what kind of loss. That's a crucial question. How much loss can you accept? Most of our peers don't ask that question. They simply want to lump you into a box. Are you conservative, moderate, or aggressive? Like any of us know what any of those terms mean. And then sometimes people say, well, I'm very conservative. But then you look at their portfolio, and it's 85% stocks. I'm sorry, the portfolio is revealing more than you're saying. And frankly, I, I believe the portfolio, you've gotten comfortable here, maybe even complacent. You probably don't remember the last two times your portfolio was off 50% or more. So you want to believe that you're being, uh, you know, you're not being aggressive. You're, be, you're very comfortable, you're being conservative, but the 
the problem is, is that, as I say, the portfolio is telling a very different story because when you are exponentially exposed to any asset class, whether it's bonds or stocks or real estate, by the way, which is one of the things most people don't recognize, it means that you're making a big bet. And what do they say about those eggs? You better, if you've got all your eggs in one basket, you better watch that basket very carefully. We have a different point of view. We like to diversify more than watch the basket very carefully so that we might see some upside somewhere that we didn't anticipate, say 2008, when we're looking at the reality in 2009 that the real estate got crushed, the bonds got hit, and stocks certainly got crushed. And now let's suppose it happens again, but let's also recognize that the next time may be a replication of the past time. It might be worse, but here's the other side of that equation. Suppose it takes longer than you imagine for that account, wherever that money might happen to be, to get back to even. In fact, maybe it doesn't get back to even in your timeline. And I mean, while you're here on this beautiful green earth. So we want to prepare for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen, as opposed to just being very complacent and saying stocks for the long haul, no matter what. So we promise every week to bring you up to date. We want you to see as much of the big picture as you possibly can. And when we look at the news every day, they talk about the stock market, what it did as it went up or it went down, and then they proffer a reason as far as its activity is concerned. But that doesn't give you a chance to see the bigger picture, particularly from the standpoint of how the market has performing in, with the various indexes for the year. So we always like to talk about uh, the, the market's a little negative uh, today. Uh, we're still got the stimulus package that people are wondering about and everybody's worried about if the vaccine's uh, actually viable and if it's going to be disseminated the way we hope it will. Meantime, the Dow for the year, and that means from January 1 through today, is uh, up about 5.8%, 5.79% so far for the year. That's a good number. Now, the next number that I think is a more indicative way of looking at the Dow is to measure the S&P 500 because that's 500 stocks, as opposed to Dow, it's only 30. So certainly 500 would be a better representation of what's going on in the country. Great numbers, 14.63% so far this year, if you have all the money in the S&P 500. But wait, there's more. Look at the NASDAQ. We're uh, back at all-time highs, I believe, for the year. We'll talk about that with our guest, Michael Gallet, as we get going but it's up about 41%, 41.04 for the year. Now, going back, I want to you make sure you see this. The, the Dow, think of as an old company, is up 5.8 roughly, and NASDAQ up over 41% so far this year. That's quite a disparity. So one of the things that we're concerned about and, and one of the things that we look at is how much participation, how many companies are doing what the top five or 10, particularly the NASDAQ, are doing. Because if we look at 2000, 2002, we saw the, the top five or 10 stocks with the NASDAQ running away to the moon and hardly anybody else was even in the game. We're seeing a similar pattern unfold right before our very eyes. And so we're concerned about how many stocks are participating. Is there a lot of volume? When you want to see a lot of volume, because it means all the ships are rising on a rising sea, as opposed to some, some ships, as I say, going to the moon, and some shifts looking like driftwood. The more we have uh, less participation, then that's not a, a good sign as far as the overall market is concerned. So as we get going here, let's talk about one of the things that uh, uh, people do. And that is they look at, should I be saving versus should I be 
uh, you know, paying down my debt. And it's it's like it's either or, it's black or white. There, there's no color between that question. Daniel, what do you see as far as the pattern relative to people's thinking when they are looking at the question of should I be saving or should I be investing or should I be paying down debt? This is an interesting time of year because right now we're, we're at the end of the year. So people are looking at goals for next year, um, setting, setting goals and looking at their debt and what they're doing. And the a question that often comes up, especially when we first start meeting with somebody is what's more important? Should they be paying down debt or saving money? And for some reason, people think in, in one directionally. It, you can either do one or the other. And most people have the idea that what they need to do is pay down the debt, get rid of it, and then start saving that money. In a perfect world, that sounds like a good idea. Um, you're paying down debt, so you're paying down interest. So you're, the sooner you pay it off, the less you pay in interest. And then once you, say, once you pay down all that debt, then you can start, you can take that same money and save it. In the real world, what usually happens is people do one or the other. If they get really focused on paying down debt, then they might pay it down and then the money goes somewhere else. <laughs> you, you mean they don't keep their promise to themselves? Often, rarely happens. <laughs> they so get into we, a, a new habit. You get into a new habit. Okay. Which is, which is usually just spending. Right. But the saving doesn't happen. And that's, and that's the very crucial part too. So what we, what we really, and now really it's a personal decision because everyone's situation is different. Um, their, whatever their, their, their balances are on credit cards or where their debt is, it, it makes a big difference on, on, what, on, on how their debt is structured. And that's something that we like to do and help people figure out what a plan is to pay down their debt. But what we, what we tend to encourage people to do is to do both, save and pay down debt. Once you get into those good habits, saving becomes much easier. And once you do pay down that debt, actually putting that money towards saving becomes so much easier. One of the things that people just don't do is look at the long term. What am I really trying to do? And debt can be crushing, but not saving any money for the future can be equally crushing in a different way. Well, it certainly becomes a lot more challenging. I mean, you and I've talked about, in fact, we talked on this program, uh, are you truck poor? When I'm looking at a friend of my son's who's paying $1,300 a month for a truck with no Ferrari engine. I think if you pay $100,000 for a truck, you should have a Ferrari engine in it. I, just how I think. But here's the problem. When we, by the way, we do work with frontline workers at no cost to put their financial plan in order. And let me give you an example in terms of one of the couples that we've worked with. They're making about 100000 uh, About $60,000 is earned by the wife, in this case, and $40,000 earned by the, the husband. They're in their mid-30s, and they decided they wanted to be financially independent at 70 because they looked at what the pensions would kick in, modest, and what the Social Security does. And, of course, they discovered, many people don't see this, how the income rises by 8%. Each year, we delay Social Security. So if, it's, uh, if you're in good health and you expect to have a long life, instead of trying to capture Social Security as soon as you can, you might be, more, you might be better off by delaying that Social Security income and 
and, and by the way, that uh, it maxes out at age 70 for most people. So it's something you want to keep your eyes on. So another, so I'm trying to say they, their goal became for the first time $2.6 million. And we find that maybe 72 of Amer- 72% of Americans do not have a financial plan. These folks, we are able to put a financial plan in place for them at no cost. And often we find that cost is uh, about $2,000 on an average basis, but now they see their target. Okay, so if you're in the habit of paying $1,300 a month for the truck, guess what? That's exactly the same monthly amount these folks need to set aside with a 7% return over the next 25, 35 years to reach their target. Everything works the way it looks like it might work, and that's why we look at it over and over again, to reach their target of 2.6. But Daniel, let's suppose that they wait 10 years later, and it's not $30,000 a year, because they have lost so much time. Maybe they're paying down debt. Maybe they're buying a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe they're trying to oppress their friends, whatever they were doing. What happens to get to that same 2.6 if we wait about 10 years later, typically? Well, the, the, the monthly contribution goes up exponentially. So oftentimes what people do is they don't get serious until their 50s or their 40s or their late 40s or their 50s. And the, the goal, the monthly savings goal becomes so big that it's, it's just unattainable. You have to save like 80% or 90% of your income just to have a shot at retiring at, a, at, a, at 66 or 70. And it just becomes impossible. It often doubles. I mean, it might be that instead of say, if, you know, again, they came up with the money, many people, for the truck, but they don't have the habits. What, how do, what do our parents tell us? You make your habits and then your habits make you. So when you develop the habits of setting aside funds for yourself and maintain that habit, then you're just, you're in the driver's seat, but you know what you're doing and how it's going to pay off so that you can buy more trucks if you want to, when you stop working. But if you don't make sure there is sufficient funds behind door number one, where you want to make work optional on your time, you're, you're living on borrowed time. And I'm not sure who's going to be uh, wearing the white hats as the cavalry to come in and save the day, because now you may discover I have to get by on social security. And clearly we were used to earning and spending $100,000, but now it's a whole new ball game when all we have, like so many Americans to live on is just social security. And thank goodness the government did that on our behalf because we didn't consistently make sure we set aside funds on our behalf. So as I say, we have the kind of money necessary behind the door that we place the funds to know now we can make work optional. And and now the job becomes how do we live off the same income because we've amassed a nest egg so that we have this equivalent in their case of $100,000 a year for the next 20 or 30 years. So our, 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 we, we've said, don't make it, as I say, a black and white kind of issue. It's not either or. You have to do both. Uh, do your best to pay down that debt as you are doing your best to set aside maybe 10, 15, in some cases, above 20% of your gross earnings every year, every month, pay yourself first at the beginning of the month, keep that habit and watch this nest egg get larger over time. And that's even despite some of the declines that will occur. But you may find that some of those declines, particularly if you're contributing to the account, 
are actually good news for you because you're buying more shares as the price goes down with the same contribution each month. So that's called dollar cost averaging, and it's a way to take the price and make it lower over time because if it is the case that you know, occasionally there were some market declines as opposed to putting it all on red or black and then, you know, looking at it and feeling good when the account goes up and not feeling so good when the account goes down. And most people make sure they beat themselves up when there's a negative and they feel overly confident when there's a positive as though it had something to do with intelligence. It does not. It has, it's completely out of your control but let's play the game to win. And, and that's something that we can all do and then encourage each other to continue doing the work that needs to happen so that you can make work optional on your particular time. Daniel, we got to get to a quick break. Give us some instructions, please, because we want to make sure people have a chance to uh, get the new book. You can find us uh, on at our website, www.ybpoor.com. We are on Facebook under Investor's Advantage. You can find us on Twitter at Money on Course. You can, you can send us an email at contact at ybpoor. And you can always reach us in the office at 805-495-2077. And you're welcome. Now, uh, Daniel just saw, happened to uh, Google my, the title of the book, Making Finance Make Sense, and it showed up. It's showing up at, on sale at eBay. I didn't know it was there at, at eBay, but it's available at Amazon, both in the Kindle version as well as the paperback and available on eBay. And if you send us a question, whether it's now or sometime in the future between shows, we will send you a free copy of the Kindle version. So we've got to take a quick break. Please stay tuned. We've got a great guest speaker, actual portfolio manager, right on the other side of this message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. 
to reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. And so glad you could spend some time with us this afternoon. So we have on tap a very interesting gentleman. I mean, uh, there are people who do invest. And the truth is, most of us will never meet the people who are actually doing the investing on behalf of the clients. Uh, You might hear their name, you may not, but you generally don't have any access to them. So we're delighted that Michael Guyad, a chartered financial analyst, and by the way, that is a very difficult test, is a portfolio manager at Toroso Asset Management. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, between that fund and his ETF, he manages about $320 million. He's an award-winning author and publisher, and he's going to explain what it does, what he does to keep the investor assets from being handled to them uh, when the grids hit the pan. But let's open with this, uh, Michael. I've got a question for you. So Daniel and I had the pleasure of learning about one of your peers, a portfolio manager. Good news is it happens to be a female. And we were looking at some results for 2008. Here are the results. As you know, many accounts, particularly stock funds, were off as much as the market, 37%, and many over 40% in 2008. But this portfolio manager actually, by the way, Michael, do do you get a bonus depending on, uh, yeah? I I wish I did. You wish you did. Okay. Well, you wouldn't mind this then. So this is, as I say, a female, uh, her her portfolio was off 31% when the market was off 37%. And many uh, all stock portfolios was, in our experience, was off over 40%. Again, hers was off 31%. She did receive a bonus. What check amount do you think it was that she received for her stellar results in 2008? Well, whatever it was, it was more than her the clients uh, lost, I think, right? So. <laughs> well, that's a good question. But uh, I imagine you and I, I know I wouldn't, I don't imagine you'd be unhappy with one check for $3 million. That's, uh, you know, let me know if that firm's hiring. I'm with you there. So folks, those are some of the insider uh, conversations that you're not privy to. When market's off that dramatically, as Michael points out, uh, you know, more than most people saw in their particular account. And yet this, as I say, good news is she's a woman. uh, But I think the bad news is that quietly the portfolio uh, company paid this portfolio manager $3 million as a bonus when she's in the running. What, 31% versus 37%? I'm not impressed. Maybe 300,000, maybe 3,000, 3 million. It's hard to imagine that that might be the case. So let's see, Michael, uh, tell us what we're at the end of the year. It overwhelmingly been a a mostly good year, despite all of the chaos and and the disruption. Uh, Take us back and then we're gonna help uh, our listeners look at where are we, where do you think we're going from here? So how does 2020 stack up in your mind? Yeah, sure. No, and I appreciate the invite, guys. By the way, you know, it, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, a woman portfolio manager uh, outperforming on a relative basis like that in 08. So there are a lot of studies that suggest that women are actually better at managing risk and uh, managing portfolios than That's men. That's true. Men yes. take more risks in general and testosterone makes men take more risk, women less so. So there's even a biological argument for that. So women tend to actually be much better stewards from an investment standpoint because 
they're not focused on the next big bet as much as trying to manage the downside. And that is unequivocally how you, over long periods of time, really kill it in the stock market, it's really by not getting killed. Hmm. So the, uh, there's not as much testosterone on the, on the line <laughs> covering their position and their thinking. They're willing to make different moves. Yeah, that's where the argument goes. Now, so as far as let's talk about how this, um, how this year has played out. So please, I, I talk from the standpoint of somebody that runs a mutual fund, runs an ETF. It's kind of known as this risk on, risk off portfolio manager. And it wasn't that long ago that you were seeing markets freeze up and these big declines take place to the point where everyone thought it was the end of the world. Um, the mutual fund that I run, which you know, fortunately is up about 70 some odd percent year to date, achieved its returns because it went risk off in advance of the COVID crash and risk on afterwards. Now, I always tell people that, uh, you know, everyone wants to make a forecast when it comes to this business of investing. The reality is nobody can predict the future. And this year is a phenomenal reminder of that. Nobody saw COVID causing a crash. Nobody saw COVID causing all-time highs. Everything in this business is a game of probabilities and conditions and as long as you can try to identify the conditions that favor an accident, like what we saw earlier this year, you can longer term win by not losing, by focusing on trying to avoid the big declines. And even if you just barely participate on the upside, if you've avoided those big declines, you end up having much larger returns. What's struck me, and I'm sure you, know, you guys have seen this as well, what struck me is, uh, with the way this year has played out, is nobody was bullish in March. Everyone's bullish now. Uh, everybody thought the world was going to end in March. Now everybody thinks it's a brand new bull market. Isn't it remarkable how little in this industry we can tell about tomorrow? Yeah, or how we don't learn from history. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's the thing with this stuff, right? I mean, look, we, we've this has been a, a, a very volatile year and really a tale of two years. You know, I remember in the midst of that that COVID crash and volatility, there were uh, on Netflix trending films, all, all the trending films were around apocalyptic uh, events, right? You had The Walking Dead trending, you had Pandemic trending, you had all these kind of uh, movies uh, out there that scared the living daylights out of most people. Everyone thought in the midst of COVID and all the headlines around it that it would be just like Hollywood. And everyone was so convinced and the sentiment was so dark at the time. I was on Bloomberg having avoided the decline in the midst of the crash and basically made the case that, you know, even if it is the end of the world, what's the point of what we're doing anyway? You might as well bet that it's not. Uh, that's the problem with the end of the world arguments uh, when it comes to investing. If it's the end of the world, our money's all worthless anyway, except maybe Bitcoin. But <laughs> that's a whole nother discussion, right? But I do think that, um, you know, I've used this line on Twitter before at Lead Lag Report. You know, opportunity always exists when the crowd thinks it knows an unknowable future. We can't tell what tomorrow brings, but you can try to adjust a portfolio based on where fewer other people are betting. And I think that really does explain why we've had such enormous swings this year beyond the standard lines of it's all because of the Fed. All right, folks. So uh, just to put the lawyers in the equation, uh, the numbers that Michael kind of uh, shared, past performance is no guarantee of anything, right? Future performance. Uh, it is good to look at the past and he's uh, given us some sense of how many people are investing. 
will we'll want to know more details in terms of how he avoided the losses. But to give some more meat on the bone, what here's what we're seeing. We, we saw that there was a fourth quarter loss uh, in 2018 of about 20 percent. Uh, and then we saw a 35 percent decline in the S&P 500 first quarter 2020. Now, here's the question. Notice that the loss, the second loss, 35 percent, is lower than the first loss, 20 percent. And there are those who suggest that this is a sign that the next loss is going to be even lower than the first two. And one of them suggests, uh, this happens to be Harry Dent with Dent Publishing, uh, one of our research teams that we, we pay for independent research, suggests that we might see a 40% loss, and that might be the first leg down, in the second quarter of 2021. So I've seen so many, to Michael's point, um, so many of the, uh, the pundits who are talking about it's a roaring 20s, and I'm like, well, let's remember the Roaring Twenties started with a with a bang, but ended with a bust. And let's keep in mind that when we talk about, for example, uh, this was the last November 2020. It has been the best uh, November since 1987. Let's keep in mind that uh, one of the best Novembers we ever saw was in 1928, right before the market crash of 1929. So no one can see the future, Michael, of course, uh, but how is it that you, no matter what the market might do, what is it that you do to keep your asset, the, the, your investor assets from being hammered, hand, handed to them when it goes down like the Titanic? Yeah, no, so, so, and I think this is actually a very um, important subject. So, you know, I talk to financial advisors all day long <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the overarching uh, thing that I try to get across is because the range of outcomes for the future is so wide, you have to be exposed to as many different areas as possible that march to their own beat. So what I mean by that is I can make a case to you that the Dow hits 40,000 in two years. I can make the case to you that Dow goes back to 20,000 in two years. I can make the case that Bitcoin replaces the dollar. I can make the case that Bitcoin doesn't. I can make the case of anything, any kind of extreme you can imagine. Nobody knows which path is going to be the one that ultimately we're going to walk down. So what do you do from a portfolio standpoint? You ultimately have to have as much exposure to as many different things as possible. I think the problem that a lot of individual investors have and a lot of advisors as well, to some extent, is they put together a portfolio of you know several stocks and they believe that that's a diversified portfolio. Well, just because you've done well doesn't mean you're being diversified. Actually, quite the contrary. Being diversified probably means you're not doing as well most of the time as the number one thing which is performing, which usually is the S&P the last 70 years. And I've always made this point being on the road that the truest definition of diversification is being in areas that uh, you probably hate being invested in, right? Because if you hate a portion of your portfolio, it probably means it's not working. It's not performing at that moment in time. Well, if it's not performing in that moment in time, that's exactly what makes you diversified. It means you have different sort of investments, different types of strategies at different moments in time doing well or doing poorly. So, you know, the, again, it goes back to, you know, and I hear the, the arguments on the negative narrative uh, from uh, Harry Dent and others, and he could absolutely be right. But what if he's not? So that's why I kind of go back to this idea that the best protection is not to diversify just within stocks, but across asset classes, also across strategies. You know, the um, the most challenging part of the investable landscape now unequivocally is bonds. 
Uh, inflation expectations have been significantly rising, suggesting that the Fed is getting its way in terms of rising reflationary pressure in the system. That should mean bond yields rise to reflect that increased cost of goods. You get any kind of infrastructure spending plan, you better believe that's going to uh, accelerate even further. So, and bonds are typically what most people use to diversify against their stocks. Because you don't have that same diversification benefit that you once had in the bond market, increasingly you can only really diversify across strategies and across some esoteric you know, areas like maybe gold or Bitcoin. Not to say you do a full-on allocation, but it goes back to have exposure to as many different possible future paths because you just don't know which one's going to hit. So what did you do first quarter 2020 to avoid that uh, pretty significant decline? And by the way, I came across several neighbors who I've talked to from time to time, but these are gentlemen in their, in their 70s. We've never really talked about their money. And I thought these, I don't know their details, but they wouldn't talk about their experience. All I know is they said, oh my God, this market. I thought they were going to cry. So one of the things that always gets my attention is how people respond to things. Clearly, they, maybe they were off more than 35%. I don't know. But most people are completely exposed as opposed to prepared for the declines. What do you do to keep your clients more whole first quarter 2020? Yeah, and, and by the way, on that, on that simple, mm -hmm. I used to always kind of give this example when I was presenting at, at CFA Chapters. When you look at studies of when people tend to hit the brakes in a car crash, you know, when most people hit the brakes, it's actually after the crash, right? Most people tend to actually slow down after it's already too late. You have to manage risk in advance, not, not, uh, not afterwards. Now, the, the, I'm known for having put out these five different award-winning white papers over the years, and the common thread across all these papers is this idea that, again, I may not know the exact mile marker I might crash my car, but I know the conditions, those conditions are told through the behavior of certain leading indicators to uh, volatility. Historically, those uh, leading indicators relate to anything interest rate sensitive, such as the utility sector, such as treasuries, and such as lumber uh, relative to gold. Lumber, which is a key commodity in the construction of homes, lumber is a pretty uh, interesting uh, uh, signal in terms of future risk for the stock market. So broadly speaking, in the ATAC rotation fund, the warning signs were there January, February. Utilities and treasuries were strengthening as the market was hitting new highs. Lumber to gold was weakening, suggesting we were entering a risk off period. And you know, it's funny because people you know, would say back then, you know, or looking back then that, well, COVID, uh, how could these signals tell you anything about COVID? COVID was not magically known in February. If you were on Twitter, you could see there were videos in, uh, of, of uh, people in hazmat suits in China literally just washing down streets. I mean, this was something that the, was actually known really since early December. It's just the market didn't care about it until February, right? So these areas were, you know, maybe called the subconscious of the market or whatever it would be, but historically they're leading indicators to risk. The response for the mutual fund in that environment was to go fully into long duration treasuries. There are very few investments or asset classes that benefit from stock market volatility. Treasuries are one of those few, meaning that generally when you have stocks go down, you have what's called a flight to safety trade, meaning money for a moment in time flows into the quote unquote safety of US government debt, yields drop, and you make money as stocks themselves go down. 
you're now making money in treasuries as stocks go down, which means you have more capital to compound off of so that when you go back risk on, when the very signals start to flip, suggesting risk on lumber outperforming gold, utilities underperforming the market, long duration treasuries uh, underperforming intermediate. When you have that kind of dynamic and you're risk on, and now you've got all this capital that you saved avoiding the big decline, now you can go full speed ahead. And you know, that's why I like the driving analogy so much with this stuff, right? Because you ever notice when you put an address in your smartphone into Google Maps, you ever notice that no matter how fast you're driving, the damn ETA just doesn't want to go down? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just doesn't want to, just doesn't want to change, right? You're like, it's wrong. It must be broken. Right, right. So, so, so what's the biggest driver of your variability of your ETA? It's the traffic. It's the slowing down. And by the way, once the, everyone's done rubbernecking and, and seeing the accident, suddenly the, the road's free and clear. You can speed up as much as you want. There's nobody in front of you. Um, I, I think that's really appropriate when you think about how the, this, this environment uh, played out. The risk conditions were there. Uh, the signals that I've written a, uh, papers on that I've won awards for warned in advance. The accident happened. And all you need is to get a few of these right over time to very dramatically have outsized returns. The challenge, as you know, John, is that you know, uh, most people want to chase the upside. They don't yep. want to think about managing risk. But if you want to kill it in the stock market, you have to not get killed. Not get killed. That's a word to the wise. That's something to do for 2021. I think we've got to uh, get to a break. And I want to pick up on not get killed when we come back on the other side. And, and we're going to uh, launch a little bit with more of this uh, analogy with the cars, because I think it's a way that people kind of understand these things to look at what your car is doing these days that most people may not recognize that it didn't used to do to keep your assets safe, right? To keep you in the car, no matter what you did to the car. So uh, we'll, we'll go to a quick break and we'll be right back in just a moment. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here with Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. And we're delighted that uh, our guest speaker is Michael Gayad, a chartered financial analyst, portfolio manager with uh, Toroso Asset Management, where he manages a mutual fund along with an exchange-traded funds. As I say, you know that there are portfolio managers, but most of you don't have a chance to meet them. So we're delighted that Michael was able to take time out of his busy schedule to actually show up and say some things that we think are meaningful. Now, before we went to the break, Michael was giving a good analogy in terms of how cars work. And I know Daniel wants to ask a question immediately after this about debt and the structure, because it's one of those four letter words that people don't really understand personally, corporately, or as far as governments are concerned. And we're seeing some some signs that are not at all encouraging as far as debt levels. But getting back to the car analogy, if you have a newer car, they're doing something that many people don't recognize as far as the transmission is concerned. And, and you know, most of them are, they use the computer to advance when you're stepping on the gas. The computer is also designed to slow the car down as you step on the brakes. So if you, you, you can feel the car actually going into a lower gear as you get closer to that red light. As far as accidents are concerned, yes, it is true. I've looked at this. I think it's fascinating. We see the accident, but somehow we don't think it's going to be as close as it is. And so by the time we really step on the brakes, is at the accident, <laughs> at the time that we're hitting whatever we're trying to avoid. Now, again, if you have a brand new car, one of the things that the technology has made tr- significant advancements in is to uh, have the brakes actually uh, clinch up a little sooner. Like as soon as you, if you rented a car recently, you may have noticed that when you step on the brakes, it actually clinches more than you are early as soon as you step on the brake, particularly if the stepping on the brake is a little more severe than just applying the brake. So we, we the, the real point here is that there's some advancements in technology in no matter the field, like the medical field, we'll, we're all amazed how fast these vaccines can be produced in about a year or so. But when we get to managing our money, it is the case, I, I, I frankly um, often apologize for my peers, because we talk as though nothing has changed. The only thing we have said to you is buy 
low, sell high, uh, buy and hold, no matter what, right? But there have been some advancements in technology in terms of managing money where the accounts become more defensive automatically on your behalf, as opposed to you having to give the instructions or your financial advisor having to try to reach you, which never works when we really need to see you. The accounts just become more conservative. By that, I mean, they're not just passive holding shares while the price goes down like the Titanic. In some cases, these portfolio managers actually retrieve the money. In other words, take the money off the track, sell those shares, and put the money in a money market account, into a cash account. Let the trade pass, let the, 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 the clean air show up again, and now we can put the money back on the tracks in an up market. So it might be you started 08, for example, 5% cash. In many cases, some portfolios move to 60, 80, 100% cash. So that's risk off. And Michael's going to talk about that. And then in 09, starting March 9th, when we see more upward volatility, now the coast is clear, we can, re we can move from safe assets, cash, back into risk assets, whatever those combinations might have been, to maybe 100%. So instead of being off 37 to 40%, many investors who took it advantage of these systems working on their behalf behind the scenes, we're off no more than 20% in our experience. And then because that's because we moved to cash throughout the year. And then in 09, as we moved out of cash back into whatever the combination is of bonds and stocks, for example, many investors saw their gains up about 26%. And, and guess what? If you had a loss of 20, you need a gain of 25. So any gain that was better at, at 25 or better, you have more money in a year or two than most people who were passive, where in a very robust market took four to five years or so for the same accounts in a passive investment just to get back to even. So Daniel, take it from there, please, with this question you have about uh, the correlation of debt. Michael, you've been talking a lot about debt lately, and you've said if debt doesn't matter, why are we paying taxes? Can you speak to that, please? Well, partially it's because I also don't want to pay taxes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> right. I think we can all agree to that. So, so look, the, 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 the problem is there's this double standard, right? We as individuals, as taxpayers, running our own financial houses, getting them in order, you know, we have to be mindful of how much debt we're taking. We can't be overspending. Otherwise, you know, you have a, a huge debt load to deal with and you have constant interest payments on that. Somehow that standard doesn't seem to apply to the U.S. government. And that standard doesn't apply to the U.S. government because the reality is no matter who was going to be the president, we all knew what the end uh, result was going to be, which is more and more debt driven by more and more stimulus, which only further widens more and more the wealth gap between rich and poor. Debt is very problematic at these levels, and I feel like the whole world forgot that debt should still matter uh, because there's all kinds of implications to this, this dynamic of uh, debt and asset market behavior. Oftentimes when I have somebody say to me, you know, what do you think? Is it going to be inflation or deflation? My response is yes, <laughs> meaning it's probably going to be both. Why is it going to be both? Because with every single round of stimulus – comes more and more debt on government balance sheets, on the Fed's balance sheet. Well, all that debt longer term, which is a very uh, Harry Dent type of argument, eventually results in longer term deflationary pressure, which creates more risks to the system, more volatility, more declining stocks, until the Fed has to do it all over again and then keep on reflating the very debt bubble they themselves are creating. 
I, I wish as a society we would stop and, and start questioning all of this constant desire for more and more dollars, more and more stimulus, more and more uh, action from the government when the reality is the government's broke. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of very large, longer-term issues from an asset class perspective, from a societal perspective, with debt levels as high as they are. So, on that note, how are you positioned today, and what are you what are you looking at for 2021? Yeah. So, so look, the when again, I'm kind of known as this risk-on, risk-off portfolio manager across the mutual fund and the ETF that I run and, and even the, the lead lag report service that uh, that I put out there. Risk-on, risk-off is just code for saying inflation or deflation, right? Because risk-on, inflationary pressure, asset uh, markets, equities, beta, that all that does well. Risk-off, deflation, treasuries, gold, you know, areas like that tend to do well. Given how high debt levels are, and yes, I have an incentive to say this, but given how high debt levels are, without being overly dramatic, I can make the case that the only question that matters for many years to come is not what stock are you buying, not what investment theme you're, you're, you're overweighting. It's one question and one question only, inflation or deflation going forward, given, again, the starting point of how much debt we have. So I think what that's going to result in is just more and more swings, more and more volatility. And more and more of people wondering when the market goes down if they have taken on too much risk. And that's why I think going back to the diversification argument and not being able to predict the future, if we are going to be destined for a future that has more swings because of the sheer amount of debt that we have, you better you know, get ready for a more violent ride in your portfolio. Manage your own expectations. Don't think the stock market will go up you know, 20% or will go down and come back the way it has this year. Uh, prepare yourself for a more risky environment. And really, what well, all that means is know thyself. Know how much exposure to have in your portfolios. Work with financial advisors who can help be your guide, help be your uh, hand-holding, uh, you know, uh, confidant during those high volatility periods. But again, with debt as high as it is, I don't see how in the world we can be in this uh incredibly positive environment, uh, unless debt really just doesn't matter, in which case, I guess we got to find a way to not pay taxes. Good luck with that. So, you know, one of the things that uh, we're always looking at is uh, where do we go from here? And, and by that, I mean, uh, we've got, uh, when, we, when we talk with clients, instead of asking you, are you conservative, moderate, or aggressive, along Michael's uh, points that he's making right now, we work with you to make sure you discover, probably for the first time, how much loss can you accept? That's a question you've probably never really answered before. And we'll go through a series of questions. Uh, and in fact, we have one couple where they did this process three times. They had a series of answers for her money, a different series of answers for his money, and a different set of answers for their money. So what we have are three different portfolios and they've discovered what kind of loss they can live with. And then we do our best to put the money at work in such a way where it might not uh, exceed their personal limits in terms of losses. So if it is a case, as we saw 35% loss first quarter 2020, if your account hypothetically had been down, let's say 50% of that, so it was off, let's say, 15 to 17, somewhere along that line. That'd be 50%. And it, maybe it was as little as 5%. The point is, when you can see how your account is doing, 
if it's going up, that's great. But when it's going down, that's when people get very nervous. And if they can see that their loss is less than the overall market, it may give them some warm feelings in the real world that the next time this gets really ugly, uh, like I say in 2008, and by being off 20% as opposed to 37 to 42%, which is often what we saw, we'll take the 20 as opposed to twice that. And, and again, the numbers are, if we're off 20, we need 25 to get back to even. But if we're off 40, now we need like 66.6%, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just to get back to even. So we want to limit those losses by not letting the, the hole be dug even deeper because it just takes exponentially more effort to get out of that hole and fill it back up just to get back to even. Uh, quick question, Michael. I was on a, a Zoom call with Goldman Sachs, and these were two uh, female uh, portfolio managers. So glad to see some some uh, you know some uh, gender equality in our in our world because it just doesn't exist for the most part. But this was Jennifer Prosser and uh, Maria Lee. I believe they're both CFAs, and they're suggesting that uh, the next ten years we may only see a return annualized of six percent as compared to the last ten years after two thousand eight of about double that, thirteen point six percent per year. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it depends on where inflation is. Okay. Right. So let's say you have an, uh, a 6% annualized return, which doesn't sound that bad. Well, that's going to be pretty bad if inflation got to 10%, which I don't think is going to happen. But I, I can make the case to you that I think the Fed probably <laughs> wants some extreme inflation to get out of this huge debt load that they created. Um, again, I go back to, I think, you know, as Yogi Berra once said, predicting is hard, especially about the future. You know, so so there's no way to know how it's going to look 10 years from now. I mean, you know, if if... 10 years ago, people said emerging markets would have 8% annualized returns, 9% annualized returns. Emerging markets have gone nowhere for a decade. Um, you know, I think it's very hard to make very longer term predictions. By the way, on, on that, it's kind of a good way to kind of close off the thinking here on forecasting. There are a lot of studies that look at various professions that deal with the business of forecasting. And the profession that has the most uh, highest degree of accuracy in their domain predicting the future are weathermen which should scare everybody. <laughs> Weathermen are the most accurate at predicting the future in their domain. The caveat is they're only uh, good at it three days out in time. Meaning they do a 10 day forecast. It's only accurate up to three days. Studies show that if you go out further in time, it degrades quite a bit, right? It's very hard to see past the horizon. The horizon right now still looks risk on, still looks positive. Stimulus is going to push equities probably higher, still going to keep volatility low. But beyond that, it's unclear. And it goes back to manage risk, be obsessed with risk, do everything you can to not get caught up in the fervor of FOMO, fear of missing out. Focus on you know being as steady Eddie, know thyself, work with an advisor like, like you guys uh, you know, are doing a great job on. And uh, that way you'll be much better off. You know, the, the, the future is not the past. Don't start to think that it's going to look like how, how it was the last 10 years. Well, and I think that's a trap that we all fall in. As I say, we become overly complacent. And particularly when the market just seems to be hitting new highs, we're like, oh, I don't even have to pay attention. I'm getting richer every single day. I can die and go to heaven just fine, just being rich. Well, and then the music stops and we all have to get off. And that's when, I mean, who would have imagined we would see two 50% losses in the same decade? First one, 2000, second one, 2008. And, and as I say, the real question becomes, even when there's a robust market, 
will it return to where your levels were in your time frame? Uh, when we look at Japan, this, I, I, the market peaked in uh, December 31, 1989, the Nikkei 225. Last I looked, it was at 26,600. My point is that it has yet to get back to even from 1989. That's now going on over 30 years. Could that that kind of event happened here, I think is a fair question. And I think the fair answer is, of course it could. <laughs> I mean, again, we can't see the future, but these are the kinds of things we think we need to be better prepared for, as opposed to just going to sleep and turning into Rip Van Winkle and waking up and discovering that it's uh, very different. Folks, we've enjoyed uh, being here with you as we do every Wednesday. Daniel Medina, John Grace here on Voice America with Fiscal Fitness. We'll be right back here next Wednesday at noon Pacific Standard Time. We'll see you then. Thanks so much, Michael. Really appreciate all your comments. And everyone pay your taxes. <laughs> yes, sir. You should run for office. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week. 